You see, I didn't grow up studying the Bible. I would read it during family prayer time and sometimes at activities at church, but I didn't study the Word. I didn't really even understand it. But what an amazing gift it is to be part of a church that encourages women to open up their Bibles, to read it, to study it, and to understand it. And so I'm really excited to study the last few verses of Habakkuk with you. During our time together, we will be looking at Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 16 to 19. The book of Habakkuk begins with Habakkuk crying out to the Lord and asking God, why aren't you doing anything? Why do you remain idle when Judah is becoming spiritually and morally corrupt? He's complaining to God and asking God why he's allowing the people of Judah to live in disobedience. And God's answer to Habakkuk's complaining is that he's going to use the Chaldeans to punish Judah. Now the Chaldeans, they were an evil people. They tortured their captives. They were the epitome of everything that was against God's laws in the Old Testament. The Chaldeans practiced a religion that had numerous gods and goddesses. Habakkuk in chapter 1 questions God, asking, why do you look at traitors and remain idle, remain silent when the wicked swallow up a man more righteous than he? Habakkuk is asking God why he's going to use the wicked Chaldeans to punish Judah, especially because Judah are more righteous than the Chaldeans. And then the Lord answered Habakkuk in chapter 2, saying, But the righteous shall live by faith. And this is the fundamental statement of the entire book. The righteous shall live by faith. Habakkuk in chapter 3, which we just heard Larissa talk on in the beginning of it, recalls God's faithfulness in the past, and he begs God to remember mercy against Judah, his wrath against Judah. And now, finally, at the end of this conversation with God in chapter 3, Habakkuk is transformed from complaining to rejoicing. He's able to rejoice and worship God and have faith in God's purposeful will. So as we study these last few verses of chapter 3, I'd like you to see with me in Habakkuk, uh, verse, chapter 3, verse 16, that he waits quietly. In verse 16, he waits quietly. In verse 17, he accepts God's will. In verse 17, he accepts God's will. And in verses 18 and 19, he rejoices in the Lord. He rejoices in the Lord. My hope is that we will be able to remember to rejoice in the sovereignty and sufficiency of God, even in the midst of suffering. To rejoice in the sovereignty and sufficiency of God in the midst of suffering. Before we get started on the text, would you pray with me? Father Lord, uh, I am so grateful for each and every person that has come here today, Father. I pray that you would clear our minds and our hearts to study your holy word. Father, I commit this time to you. May it honor and glorify your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'd like you to take a moment and think back on your life. 
Have you ever had a sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach when you had to face a crisis or an emergency? Maybe it was that dreaded 4 a.m. call. You know it's not going to be good news if you're getting a phone call in the middle of the night. Maybe it's a conversation that you had with a loved one in which they shared the darkness of a hidden sin. Maybe it was a sudden diagnosis of a terminal illness of a family member. I'm sure some of us have been there. I imagine some of us have felt that sinking feeling. I know I have. It was Friday, December 19, 2014. I got a phone call from my mom, and by the tone of her voice, I could tell that it wasn't going to be good news. She told me that she was headed to the ER with my dad. The MRI that was done that morning showed that there was a tumor in my dad's brain. My heart was pounding out of my chest. I couldn't talk because there was a huge lump in the middle of my throat. And I was sweating. My head was spinning with thoughts and questions. And I felt my legs were so weak that they were going to give out on me. I imagine this is similar to what Habakkuk was feeling when we meet him in verse 16. Habakkuk is frightened. He's scared. He knows that the Chaldeans will slaughter his people. There will be death. There will be devastation. And he's filled with fear. So let's look at verse 16 together. If you haven't opened up your Bibles yet, would you open it up to page 787 in your Black Bibles? I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones, and my legs are trembling beneath me. We see here that panic and dread sets deep into Habakkuk. Fear runs through his entire body and takes it over. His body starts off to react to the fear. His, he's feeling weak and out of control. His body starts to tremble. His lips are quivering. He's so overwhelmed with trepidation that he feels rottenness entering into his bones. His legs are trembling. Habakkuk goes on to say in verse 16, Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade them. Habakkuk is saying that even though there will be destruction and devastation at the hands of the Chaldeans, even still, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. So who is Habakkuk waiting for quietly? He's waiting for trouble to come on the people who invade them. And who are the people that will invade them? The Chaldeans, right? So Habakkuk is waiting on the people, on God, to bring judgment, eventual judgment, on the Chaldeans. So his shift, he shifts from trembling to waiting, to quietly waiting. Even though there's fear, and he's filled with fear, 
that it takes over his entire body. Habakkuk trusts that God's justice will unfold on the Chaldeans, not according to Habakkuk's timing, but according to God's perfect timing. God decide, he decided to stop questioning and worrying. Instead, he started to quietly wait. And in that waiting, he puts his trust in what God had promised him in chapter 2. God promised Habakkuk that he would judge the Chaldeans. During our last retreat, we learned about the woes in chapter 2. And in chapter 2, verse 16, God promises when he's talking with Habakkuk about the Chaldeans, have your fill of shame. Instead of glory, drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around you and utter shame will come upon your glory. We see here that God trusts, that Habakkuk trusts in the promises that God has made to him because he knows that God is a promise keeper. He keeps his promises. Larissa just spoke to us about how Habakkuk recalls all the ways that God has been faithful to the promises that he has made to Israel. Habakkuk trusts that God will do what he said because he has done what he has promised in the past. God is sovereign and he is in complete control. God is all-powerful and he has a direction and a purpose for each of our lives, even today. God promises us in the Bible that he will work all things for our good and for his glory. The question is, do we always trust that God is working all things for our good? Sometimes, maybe many times, we don't understand his plans for us and trust that he has a purpose in those plans. Not our purpose, not what we prefer, but in God's plans. Just like God had a purpose in the destruction of Judah at the hands of the Chaldeans, God's will for us is good acceptable, and perfect. But can we trust in God's will for us? Even when we don't understand, even in the depths of sorrow and despair and struggle, can we trust God? So when my girls, Hannah and Grace, who are now 12 and 10, were younger, I would teach them what to do in an emergency. So we recently watched an old video where they were around four and two, and they were acting out what they would do if there was a fire. So they pretended that there were flames on their shirts, and so they stopped, dropped, and rolled until the flames were out. So you guys remember this, right, from fire safety instructions, stop, drop, and roll? How about when we're in the midst of crisis and despair, maybe we should learn to stop, pray, and wait. To stop, pray, and wait. You know, God gives us all intelligence and problem-solving skills, which is good. But sometimes we burden ourselves with the weight of trying to figure it all out, all on our own. We want to make decisions. We want to act. We want to solve. Before we even take our burdens to the Lord, we feel like we're sufficient, that we're capable of dealing with whatever is handed to us. Or maybe we think we need to call somebody, a friend, maybe a member of our soul care, which is also good. 
But like one of my Bible teachers always says, don't go to the phone, go to the throne. Don't go to the phone, go to the, pho go to the throne. So can I ask you, are we able to surrender our burdens at the throne of God our King? The next time we are faced with a crisis or hardship, will we be able to lay them all at the feet of Jesus and wait patiently on the Lord? Wait quietly as we trust in his sovereign plan for us. Let's pray that we're able to stop, pray, and wait. To stop, pray, and wait. So Habakkuk starts off worrying, then he goes on to waiting, and now he's accepting what God has planned for Judah. Habakkuk comes to a point where he has to face the facts. There will be devastation. There will be savagery. There will be unspeakable pain for Habakkuk and his people. He starts to accept that all this is happening according to God's sovereign plan. Let's look at verse 17. Though the fig trees should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stalls. This is how God will punish the people of Judah. Judah, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God's chosen people, everything that they knew and treasured will be demolished during the Chaldean invasion. But let's remember that Judah deserved this punishment. They deserved God's judgment. Habakkuk in chapter 1, verse 3, is talking about the people of Judah when he says, Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. Judah turned away from God and became a sinful and corrupt people. The Chaldeans, when they're done with Judah, there won't be much left. The ruthless Chaldeans will destroy everything of value in the land. The fig trees will not blossom. And there won't be any fruit on the vines. There won't be any figs or olives to eat or any wine to drink. The flocks will be cut off from their folds, and there won't be any herds in the stalls. So there won't be any milk for the children to drink, and there won't be any meat for anyone to eat. There will be many, many hungry bellies. Things will appear to be utterly hopeless. Have you ever been in a situation when things seem so hopeless? so dire. There are times in our lives when we ask God some hard why questions. Questions like, why am I still single? Why can't I have kids? Why did I miscarry my precious baby? Things may seem so hopeless, similar to Habakkuk's time. Why do I feel like I'm struggling as a mom or a wife? Why do I have the same argument with my husband week after week? 
Why can't I just get along with my family? These are the times we may feel like there's no end in sight. Why does work have to be so difficult? Why do I keep being looked over for that promotion? Why can't we just make ends meet at the end of the month? Why do I have to deal with that medical issue again? Why, why, why? We want answers. And we see it, Habakkuk asking some really difficult questions at the beginning of this book. But finally, at the end of this conversation with God, Habakkuk is transformed from questioning God to rejoicing in God. In the beginning of our text, starting at verse 16, Habakkuk started off worrying. Then he moved on to waiting, then to accepting, and now he's rejoicing. Rejoicing. But what is he rejoicing about? What does Habakkuk have to rejoice about? What do we have to rejoice about? Let's look at verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Even though all that was mentioned in the previous chapters will occur, there will be no fruit, no milk, no meat. Even still, Habakkuk will rejoice in the Lord. He will take joy in the God of his salvation. Habakkuk decides to worship the Lord anyway. He's not focusing on the circumstances around him, but he chooses, he chooses to focus on who God is. In verse 16, Habakkuk looks inward at himself and explains how his body reacts to the fear. In verse 17, he focuses on the outward destruction that will occur at the hands of the Chaldeans. And now, in verses 18 and 19, Habakkuk shifts his gaze upward to God to rejoice in who God is. And who does Habakkuk say God is? Habakkuk declares that God is Lord. Habakkuk uses the all caps Lord, which represents the covenant name Yahweh for God. By using the all caps Lord, Habakkuk wants to show that his relationship with God is a personal one. It's an intimate relationship. It's a covenant relationship. Let's look at the rest of verse 18. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk's ultimate joy comes from the God of his salvation. His true joy for, comes from God. The kind of joy that he's experiencing comes from spending time talking with God. It's a result of being in fellowship with him. This joy doesn't come from earthly circumstances. Because if we think about it, Habakkuk doesn't really have much to rejoice about in his circumstances. But after this conversation with God, after spending intimate and personal time with Jesus, Habakkuk, Habakkuk finally understands who God is, and he yearns to exalt and honor him. Habakkuk now fully understands that God is sufficient, that God is sufficient. 
He takes joy in the God of his salvation. His true joy is found in his salvation. His salvation, the way that he will be saved, as we read in the previous chapter, comes from the fact that God will save the righteous who live by faith. God will save the righteous that live by faith. So although Habakkuk is doomed for destruction by the Chaldeans, he trusts that God will save him. He puts his trust in his almighty God. That's where Habakkuk's joy comes from, from the God of his salvation. As we look at Habakkuk's shift in focus upward to God and how he's able to find ultimate joy in the God of his salvation, can we ask ourselves, where does our true joy come from? Does it come from the broken world that we live in? Like the world that Habakkuk and the people of Judah lived in, we too deserve God's judgment and wrath for our sins. But he doesn't leave us there. God, gave, God saved us from doom and death by grace through faith. He offers us grace and forgiveness through the life, death, and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's where our true joy should come from, from knowing Jesus Christ as our source of our salvation. He doesn't leave us alone and hopeless. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 5 eight, God shows his love for us in that. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for sinners like me and you. Jesus is where our salvation comes from because he died to redeem us from our sins. And now, as we look at the final verse of this book that Habakkuk wrote, we see that Habakkuk ultimately realizes that God is his strength. Let's look at verse 19. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places to the choir master with string instruments. Here, Habakkuk proclaims so boldly and with great certainty that God the Lord is his strength. And what a powerful proclamation this is especially when we look at where Habakkuk was in the beginning of the book. We see he was complaining and he was questioning God. He was accusing God of being idle while the people of Judah became progressively corrupt. He felt that God was far from him and his people. He thought that God didn't care and that he didn't hear his prayers. He was questioning God's justice. But here, finally here, Habakkuk glorifies God as his Lord and his strength. No matter how bleak Habakkuk's situation may have seemed, Habakkuk is strengthened by his powerful God. In verse 19, Habakkuk continues and says, He makes my fear feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. 
A deer's feet are steady, secure, and can handle the unpredictability of ex extreme terrain. Habakkuk's feet are strong, sure-footed, and able to be like the feet of a deer. He feels strengthened by God, so much so that he feels confident that he's able to face the challenges ahead. Would you look back at verse 16 with me? Here we see God, Habakkuk's body trembling, his lips are quivering, rottenness is entering into his bones, and his legs were trembling beneath him. So Habakkuk's legs go from trembling to being like the deer's, strong, steady, and confident. He rejoices in God's strength and power. Habakkuk is assured that God is sovereign and all-sufficient in his life. The last part of verse 19 says, to the choir master with string instruments. As Larissa explained to us in the beginning of her talk, the entire book of Habakkuk, actually the entire chapter, chapter 3, is book written as a song. Habakkuk is praising God with a song, a song of worship and rejoicing. Rejoicing in the fact that God is sovereign and sufficient all the time, even in the midst of suffering. God helped Habakkuk shift his focus off his, his circumstances and the situation around him because his circumstances haven't changed. But Habakkuk has changed. His focus has changed. Habakkuk is able to focus on the fact that Yahweh is the God of his salvation. Habakkuk realizes that God is the source of his strength, that God is completely in control and has supreme power over every situation. Habakkuk goes from complaining and questioning to rejoicing, rejoicing, rejoicing in the sovereignty and sufficiency of our almighty God even in the midst of suffering. Now, in the beginning of our time together, I asked you to think back at a time in your lives that you felt that sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach. I'm sure we've all been in a situation that makes us feel hopeless, like Habakkuk did in the beginning of this book. When we felt alone, that no one cares, no one sees our pain or our struggles, that God doesn't hear us or care for us. But as we read through these verses of this book, maybe we can see a little bit of ourselves in Habakkuk, weighed down by our struggles and our pain. Can we take comfort knowing that Jesus is no stranger to sorrow? Jesus knows how it feels to be burdened with sorrow. In the New Testament, Jesus, as he prayed and waited in the Garden of Gethsemane before his death, he said, my soul is very sorrowful, even unto death. Then he asked God, if it is possible, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus trusted in God's will and purpose even in sorrow, even unto his own death. God offers us deliverance 
from condemnation and sin through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. We're all sinners in need of forgiveness and salvation. And if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Jesus bore our sins on the cross. He took our punishment and saved us from God's wrath. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If you do, you have a great hope in an everlasting life with God, where there will be a new heaven and a new earth, a place where there is no hunger, no death, no mourning, no crying, no pain. Oh, what a glorious place that will be. But if you're here and don't know Jesus as your Savior, would you come and talk to one of us after this session? We would love to sit and pray with you. Because when we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we can be sure-footed and confident and rejoice in the sovereignty and sufficiency of our Almighty God. Would you pray with me? Father, Lord, oh, we are so grateful for your word. We thank you, Lord, for showing us who you are in, the, in your holy word, Lord Father. We thank you, Lord, uh, for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. Father, that you loved us so much. Father, I pray that this time would glorify and honor you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and join us in singing.